Jason went from being a hunter uh, to a hunter with a purpose. He's a published author. Mm -hmm. Everything. And um, nationally known speaker. He is the host. And uh, there we go. Okay. He is the host of Spring Chronicles on the Sportsman's Channel, the host of Mossberg, Rugged American Hunter. And you can learn even more about him. There's so much more that we could share uh, by going to jasoncruz.com. But Jason is here with us tonight. We are so, so happy to have him here. Would you give a warm bridge, wild game night welcome to Mr. Jason Cruz. Thanks, man. I pre yep, thanks a lot. I'm not going to sing, but I do need something to hold this thing up. That's good. Well, all right. You know, it's a lot of good food, right? So you guys got to eat. And uh, I, know, I know that, that uh, as a lot goes into this. You probably don't realize just how much really goes into it, but there is a lot. And uh, so you are, you are well taken care of at a, a cool church. My name is Jason Cruz, and um, I know you guys don't know me from Adam. Uh, i tell you what I, I do want to do, though. I want to find out just real quick. I want to see what kind of crowd I've got here, all right? Um, how many of y'all would you say are, are hardcore deer hunters? Hardcore, hardcore deer hunters. Uh, okay, all right, some. How many of y'all are my personal passion? Put my hand on my heart, turkey hunting. That's it. Only a few people get it. Shoot them in the head, son. I mean, you know, you guys, yeah. Wow, duck hunters, got any duck hunters? Got a few. Am I in a room full of poachers? How many poachers we got? Okay, I knew something was up because, you know, my word, right? Well, this is North Carolina, man. NASCAR and Spotlight, and they go together. It's right, it's one of the, no, no doubt about it. Well, um, I know you guys don't, know who I am or, or what I do, um, I'll tell you just a, a couple of uh, really quick things about me. I didn't come here just to talk about, that's my tribe, Michelle and my son Cole, uh, who's 10 and Tucker's five, it's a couple of years old, but that's, that's my crew uh, right now. And, and so uh, that's, they are the, the reason I do what I do, obviously, and they're so supportive. And um, I got started in, in the uh, hunting industry years ago as a writer, actually writing faith-based articles for hunting magazines. And uh, that kind of led into some other things. I'm not going to go into all the different things that, that I do, but, but um, if some of the things you might have seen my fingerprints on, I did the Sportsman's Bible. Now, not the Genesis to Revelation part, you know, that's off limits, all right? Um, but the, uh, the, the parts in the back, hunting tips, strategies. I did the Outdoorsman's Bible for, for Zondervan, uh, tools and resources for, for, for hunters. And uh, eventually, if you're in the hunting industry for any length of time, you're going to have to get into uh, video production. Now, the video, first video we ever did that got any national acclaim was called My Dad Can Beat Up Your Dad. And uh, that, that's, that's me and my dad right there. And uh, My Dad Can Beat Up Your Dad was a really unique project because here's what, here's what happened with that. So you've been to church on Mother's Day, right? At some point in your life, you may have been to church on Mother's Day. And you know what it's like. You got preachers up there slinging snot, can't get through the sermon for crying. You know, oh God, my mama, they're just talking about their mama. It's just, just awesome. And then, and then I've seen churches like, no kidding, dude, like give a flower and candy 
to every single woman there. And I think it's awesome. I mean, spend five, six, seven, eight, nine thousand dollars. Some churches that are big will, will give a, a gift to, to every woman there, and it's awesome. But you, you ever been in church on Father's Day? What do you get? Nothing. Nothing. A bookmark. Right? Because yeah, because we're we're tearing them books up, son. We read a lot. Bookmarks. Really? I guarantee you if they gave away steel chainsaws on Father's Day, you'd come back next Sunday. You think you're my line? No. So I told my daddy, I said, Daddy, we got to do something about this, man. So we, we, we made a video. I mean, stuff's getting shot in the name of Jesus, and we're killing stuff. And, and it was great. And churches were giving it away to reconcile men, my sons that were my age, with their older dads. And that became the Me and Dad TV show that, uh, I don't know, they called me one day, and they were going to replace the time slot with duck commander something. I thought it was a stupid idea, but they did it. And, um, and it, it obviously uh, worked out, but that's, 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 that's a lie. I, that didn't happen. Um, but a couple of videos we, we've had, uh, one of you may have seen, uh, DNA, me and Hank Parker. I think Hank was here uh, recently in the last year or so, right? Yeah, that, that's, we put Hank on there because, I mean, Hank's illiterate. He can't hunt anyway. And so they, that we, you know, he, he just uh, shoots deer in cages. And so that was a good buck that was uh, in like a, a half acre lot that, that, that he was able to pin down. And tell him I said that. I would appreciate actually if you would tweet that out and that would be good. Um, now nah, I love Hank, man. Hank is a good friend and uh, I just love him so much. And uh, me and Will and Will, Will Primos and Tim Harold and some others. But so that, those are kind of some projects that I did. Like they mentioned that, you know, I, I do host uh, Spring Chronicles on Sportsman Channel's website. It's, um, it's actually a, a really long-running turkey show, four to six minutes, and, and you can get it sent straight to your inbox. That's our main, main gig right there. But so what I'm going to talk to you tonight actually is about what my dad taught me about hunting, fishing, and life. I'm not going to talk to you about all the things in the hunting world, but, but I really want to talk to you just because I got started hunting with, and fishing because of my daddy. And, and my daddy was a great influence on my life, still is a great influence on my life. Uh, that's my dad. And, and uh, I, I, my dad kind of used, he kind of used hunting and fishing as a way to teach me life lessons and, and things about manhood. I would say the first thing that my dad did was that daddy taught me to be obsessed with things that actually matter. Now, what I mean by that is, is when, it, when it comes to, my mic's popping, hold on a minute, it might be a battery, or it could just be my post going in and out, hold on a minute, there we go, I'll tighten it down, and I'll push the batteries in, if not, I'll go straight Pentecostal, and I'll just start yelling, and um, so, because I'm kind of a Baptocostal anyway, you know, uh, Baptists, we believe in the Holy Spirit, we just don't know what to do with him, and so, you know, but... So, so my daddy taught me to be obsessed with, with things that, that actually matter. And, and here's what I mean by that, right? I'll show you a picture. Um, that's, uh, that's me um, in, in the early 80s. And my, daddy, my daddy's a PGA golf pro, but before he went into golf when I was a young kid, um, he's retired from the PGA now, but, but uh, we owned a hunting and fishing store. Uh, on the outskirts of town. So in my town, we had three really big lakes. And so think of a general store. Right, and, and this general store, we sold hunting gear, we sold fishing gear, you know, and it was cool, man, because women never came into the sportsman. It was called the sportsman. Women never came into them, and they were far too smart for that, dude. I mean, like, 
92% of our customer base didn't bathe but once a year. I mean, Daddy's, Daddy's store, I mean, we, we sold live bait, hunting gear. So you would come in, we'd dip you some minnows, dip you some crickets, cut you off a bologna sandwich, send you on your way. Nobody died. We didn't need to wash hands and use sanitizer. That's for sissies. We didn't need that. I mean, it was a man's place, dude. And so as a result, I got to hunt and fish at a very young age. I mean, all my friends were hooked on Atari, man. I was hooked on killing in the 70s, and, and that's what I wanted to do. That, that's the biggest deer when I was young. That was the first, that's the biggest deer I had ever seen. Now, man, the truth of the matter is, that deer probably wouldn't score 100 inches. Biggest deer I had ever seen, man. I just remember, look, I still remember looking through my scope and seeing more horns than I had ever seen in my life, and I just started slinging lead, cuz, and, and, and I hit him like in the eye, left ear. I, he died, and, and, and I, wow. You know, I was, I mean, I, that, was, that was big. For me, and I was obsessed, and I think my daddy could see that. And I, and I do want you know, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with hunting for horns. Nothing wrong with hunting for horns. But there is something wrong when horns define the hunter. And, and the sad reality of the hunting industry now is there's so many good things about it. But one of the downsides is now, you know, big antlers, a lot of bone is the focus of so much of what goes on. And, and that has some good parts, but it also has some bad parts. And, and so it ends up defining who you are as a hunter. Now, look, I'm not going to stand in front of you, though, like some dudes do. And, and I love it when guys say things like, I just hunt to spend time in God's creation, not me. No. Dude, if I'm getting up at 3.30 in the morning, something's fixing to die. I'm going to tell you. Right? Now, don't misquote me. Don't hear me. Don't misquote me. Walk out of here saying, I, I, I mean, I, I, some of the best ideas, some of the best time I get to spend with God is in the outdoors. But I would be lying to you if I just told you that I just, I'm out there to spend time with God. Really? Really, you out there to spend time with God? So let's do the math real quick. All right? So you buy an $800 rifle and a 2000 scope just because you like being next to Jesus. Right? You buy your, if, you, if you're a lady in here, just, just, Hit the mute button on your ears for a minute. We'll talk about this later. So you buy like a $600 jacket, Gore-Tex, simp, carbon-filled thing, and matching britches that's another $600 and $300 boots because you just like the Holy Ghost? Uh-uh. I ain't buying it, dude. My personal favorite, you buy an $8,000 four-wheeler, and you drive it 72 yards to your shooting house. Right? Yeah, yeah. Because you just want to be spiritual. You just want to spend time with God, man. Right? On your $8,000 forward. No! Right? I love it when dudes say things to me like, well, I just hunt for the meat. Well, there's different levels to stupid. <laughs> right? And we've all paid the stupid tax. I've, I've paid the stupid tax. You've paid it too. But let's don't make it spiritual. Because if, if you just hunt for the meat, man, well, then let's just, if you're a deer hunter, let's take all the money you spent on license and grunt calls and boots and deer leases and gas and all the things, and let's divide that by the amount of, of deer meat you actually consume. Dude, you're eating an $8,000 steak every time you do it. And I don't see a thing wrong with that personally. I'm just saying let's don't make it 100% spiritual, right? Because it is but it's also an obsession, and we do have obsessions. And, I'm, and, and my daddy, my daddy saw that at an early age, man. My daddy, it's funny to me how, as hunters, we'll, like, put locks on the gate, at, and, and we'll guard 
our obsessions. We'll, we, we won't tell anybody about our favorite fishing hole, about our favorite crappie hole in the spring. We, we, we be we really careful. Uh, guys are now not just using trail cameras for game. They're putting trail cameras just outside the gate so they can catch the license tag of whoever's coming through that gate to see if anybody that's there that shouldn't be there. We, we guard these obsessions, but it's, it's really cool to me how the scriptures say things like, above all else, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. And I think my dad, my dad could see when I was young, whoo, that obsession was really <laughs> taking hold, right? I love sports, but I love pulling the trigger, and, and, and I still do. So daddy taught me to be obsessed with, with things that, that actually matter. But that's not all. Um, this has nothing to do with hunting, but uh, I, I will share another thing uh, that my daddy taught me. This is my daddy, Larry Cruz. Uh, my daddy believed in the miraculous effect of discipline. In, in other words, translation, my daddy believed in whooping your hind end. All right? Yeah, man. And I grew up in the 70s, brother. Those weren't belts. No, no, no. They, those were razor straps with designer buckles, Mickey Gilly size. And they would hit you from the back of the head to the back of the feet. And, you know, and come out the belt loop, shoot, go, you know, uh-uh, no, man. Look, my daddy was a firm believer that pain and bad decisions always go together, always, yeah. Now, I want to be real clear. My daddy never beat me. My daddy was never hard on me, but my daddy believed that pain and bad decisions go together. My daddy believed that the brain and the high end spoke the same language, and, and they could communicate, and they did. And, and I'm here. But now, I don't even remember getting a spanking after the age of six. I didn't need it. I just got, boy. You ever get that? Boy. Translate. Stop moving. <laughs> Whatever you're doing, quit. You might live, you might not, but you got a better chance. <laughs> yeah. Just stop moving. Yeah. I mean, my, shoot. My daddy, man, my daddy whipped me. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine in 1972 trying to explain the concept of time out to my daddy? <laughs> can you imagine that conversation? Wait a minute. When he doesn't do what you want him to do, you, you, you call time out and you sit him down and let him think about it. Uh, yeah. I'll take time out to whoop your hind end. That's what I'll do. We'll do it like football. First quarter, second quarter, halftime, I'll get a Coke. And then third quarter, fourth quarter, we'll go into sudden death. What do you think? How's that feel? Shoot, man. My daddy, I'll show you. I'll show you. Um, this, these are my sons. That's Cole. That was the second time he ever killed. Now, Cole, Cole is interesting. Cole's 10 years old. Cole is compliant. He is classy. I mean, Cole is an old soul. I mean, he, he from, the, I mean, Cole is, the, the kid communicates, I mean, unbelievable. He's, he's dependable. You tell him one time, yes, sir, daddy, no problem. Got I mean, it, it, it's, it, Michelle and I, true story, Michelle and I were literally, you know, I, I do write and publish and stuff, and we were literally having conversations after Cole was about four or five years old, that maybe we should write a book on parenting about how we know that we've got some inside tracks on this. And that was until we had, you know, Tucker. And, and uh, 
That, that's when I told Tucker a few years ago that we were, in fact, not going to beat Alabama this year. And he's in shock, you can, you can tell. Um, Tucker, dude, Tucker is mean. Tucker's always plotting on you. He's always, uh, he is the tip of the spear. I love those guys. Now, if you've got more than one kid, everybody tries to tell you how different they're, they're going to be, right? But, oh, my gosh, until you see it. I mean, my kids could not, I mean, I thought about having them DNA checked to see if they're both from us because they're so different. But when I became a dad, when I became a dad, I started reading the Bible a little bit differently at times. And I remember when I ran across this verse as a father, look at this. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. But those who love their children care enough to discipline them. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Now, you know, it's interesting. I could never in a million years think of the concept of hating my boys. It doesn't, I mean, I, I, there's no... There's no cells and corpuscles and all the stuff in your head and whatever that can make all that synapse come together. I don't, I don't understand that. But you know what? The, the, this isn't a child psychologist. Child psychologists are phenomenal. We, we, oh, man, thank God we have them. But this, this is actually the God that made the kid. And the God that made the kid said, Jason, you might think you love your kids, but if you don't teach them that sin has consequences, you don't love them at all. Actually, that's neglect on the highest level. So according to that verse, my daddy loved me with an unfailing love because, because that daddy loved me a lot based on that. Um, yeah, man. I mean, dude, we've got friends. We've got friends at church that know how we feel about spanking and discipline and stuff like that. I mean, Michelle and I, you know, if we had been raising kids like in the 60s, like if this was the 60s and we were raising kids, we'd just be normal parents, nothing new, nothing special about us by any stretch. But today, dude, we're seen like as Nazis among our friends because we say things to our kids like, no. <laughs> That's hardcore, evidently, in 2015. I got friends, man, they know how we feel about this stuff, Right? I've got friends that have come up to me at church and said things like, you know, we, we really don't believe in, in spanking our kids. You know what I always say to them? Oh, you, you didn't have to tell me. <laughs> I know. Every baseball coach knows you don't believe in spanking. Every cheerleader coach knows you don't believe in spanking. Every teacher knows you don't believe in spanking. Your kids are straight up crazy. Yeah. Your kids are the best birth control God ever made. Yeah, why? Because, because the reality is... You know, your kids dominate everything. No, you didn't have to tell me that. It's all good. I understand. But see, my daddy understood something. My daddy understood that if he let me break his rules when I was six, I was going to break his heart when I was 16. And my daddy loved me too much to let me go through life and think that I could just do whatever I had well wanted. Hey, man, there are things that I really, really did want to do in high school that I knew. I remember Friday nights, many times when my buddies wanted to do stuff, and the only thought in my head was, my daddy will kill me dead. I will walk off this planet tonight if I do this. And that's a heck of a deterrent. It worked. I didn't do it, right? So, yeah, I mean, this is a true story, man. I was in Walmart probably about a year, year and a half ago. Now, my wife will tell you I don't have the best filter. I'm getting better. 
But I don't know about y'all, I'm 42, and I was telling one of my buddies the other day, I said, do you ever notice now that as you're getting into your 40s, you just say stuff like that 15 years ago that you would never have said? And then I started thinking about old men. Y'all just say whatever. You don't care. What are they going to do? Kill you? You're ancient anyway, right? And that's where I'm headed. I'm, my filter doesn't come off. I mean, I speak for a living, man. I believe everybody's entitled to my opinion, and I say stuff. So I, I'm, I'm sitting there in Walmart. I'm not, this is a true story, dude. I'm, just, I'm sending a text, and I'm in line, and there's this mama and a daddy, and there's this little five-year-old little, little jerk boy, and he's sitting there, and all of a sudden, this is what I hear. I hear, no, and he starts flailing at his mama, and I went, oh, dude. It's come, oh my gosh, because first of all, that was a death wish in my house. My daddy would have killed me. And I'm like, oh, I'm fixing to watch. Oh, my word, somebody's going to call 911. This dude is about to come off the top rope like Ric Flair and come on this kid. And, and you know what I heard? Now, let's don't, no, now we keep our hands to ourselves. Now, we got to respect mama. And words came up. And... True story. I leaned into that dad, and it got real awkward for about two seconds. And I went right back to texting. I, God caught my words at like my enamel because what I was literally about to say to him was, look, brother man, if you will sign a waiver and promise not to sue me, I'll do it right now. I will do it. And you, you will have a new kid before you get to the minivan. You're bigger than him. He just hit your wife. What, do you think that's going to self-correct? You know? So, no. But, I mean, you know, I mean, why, why would I bring this up? Why would I bring this up? Well, you guys, I mean, Michelle and I, we've got our own problems. I mean, our kids, I mean, who knows how they'll turn out. I mean, wow, you just never know, right? But, but here's what I do know. When I was a young boy, when I was a young boy, I would put my 30 6 in my vehicle and go to school and go hunting after school. And the principal knew it. In fact, in middle school, no lie. Coach Osteen, our principal, would come on the loudspeaker about three times a month during November and December. Uh, Mr. Reese, will you please send Jason Cruz to the office, please? Oh, dude, what'd you do? I said, nothing. He hunts the farm next to me, and he can't kill anything, and he hears me shoot all the time, and he's trying to figure out what I'm doing that he's not. And I'm 12. And Coach Osteen would call me to the office, Cruz, how many you killed? Four. What do you, why can I not kill any? And he, we, what are you doing? And, and he, we'd have these conversations. When I was in high school, man, they, coaches knew we had guns in the truck. Now, no. And you know what? They spanked us. The janitor at my high school whipped more kids per capita than anybody there. You know why? Because he saw us doing stuff. Boy, get, hey! I mean, and he would hit you, Bam! Get, I get on, and nobody said nothing to him? No, why? So now you can't touch a kid. You can't tell a kid no. You can't do anything. But now they're shooting each other. 
Something's wrong. And I don't pretend to know the complex answers. I can tell you this. There's a lot of answers to why, but it starts in the home. It starts in the home. Let me tell you something. Hillary Clinton's lying to you. It does not take a village to raise a child. It takes a mama and a daddy staying married, committed to Jesus, and raising those kids in that home. That's how you change a kid's life. And so I just know that discipline works. That's all I know. And I'm passing on the tradition, man, hands down, you know. That, that, that's the reality of the show at my house. That's not all my daddy taught me, though. My daddy taught me to invest in brotherhood. Now, hunting did a lot of things for me. Um, I was an only child. If you can't tell, you do know now. Um, but my daddy used hunting as a way to invest in me. Man, I, 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 I tell you what my dad did. This is the interesting thing to me when I look back on it. You know, I can't remember all the fish. My daddy was a phenomenal smallmouth angler, one trophies taller than me at times and uh, before he went into the golf world. And I can't tell you how many turkeys we've killed together. I can't, I mean, well, now dad just, dad's just the hit man. He doesn't do anything. He, he, see, here's what my daddy did. My daddy, when we started filming and doing production, daddy purposely and intentfully can't figure out where the record button is. What does that mean? He gets to shoot every time. So he just pulls the trigger, right? I mean, how, you know, I should have seen that coming, right? But I can't tell you all the deer we've killed, all the trips we've been on since I was little to now. But you know what I remember most about my dad? It wasn't all the hunts. It was his presence. He was there. He was just there. In fact, I have to tell myself sometimes, I get wrapped up in getting my sons on the perfect hunt with the right wind on a, you know, on a deer hunt. Well, we can't hunt that far today, son. We, you know, we'll find something else to do around the house because we got the wrong wind. My sons don't care about the right wind. They just want to go. And so I'm having to learn to recalibrate my mind because my daddy used hunting to invest in me. See, this is, this is what I know. I love, man, I love this verse. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man that falls and has no one to help him up. You know, the truth is, guys, we, we got to have brothers in our lives. Now, I'm not saying you got to have a thousand best friends. I mean, that's what Facebook's for. What I'm saying is that you do. Look, God made you for one another. See, women got that faster than we ever did. I call them hen parties. They just kind of flock up, right? Women understand they need each other. They do life, and they, they're smart. They draw strength from one another. That's not how men do it. No, we're, we're a whole lot more like bull elk. You know, we live in the high country, except during the rut. We stay by ourselves, right? But what I know is that men need one another. Because, see, here's what I know. When, when, when God made Adam, if he had not wanted you to have brothers in your life, brothers in Christ, when he made Adam, that had been it. Only man ever. But he's made millions of men and millions of women because we have to be together. We are together. And, and God meant for us to be together. You have to have men looking out for you. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man that falls and has no one to help him up. And you know as well as I do, it's not a matter of if you're going to blow it. It's a matter of the fact that you will 
blow it in life. See, I've been to the Arctic Circle, and I've filmed caribou hunts up there, up by the Arctic Ocean. And I've seen those grizzly sites where those grizzlies will kill caribou. And you know the caribou that always gets it, by the way? It's the one that gets off from the herd, isolated, by itself, not looking. I remember being in the Arctic, walking down a sandbar, camera on my shoulder, you know, all this good stuff. And I, and I happened to look down. I wear a size 12. And the exact length of my foot was a perfect grizzly track, the size of my foot. My boot was in it. And I went, and the only thought, I stopped, and I didn't even want to look up. I was like, oh, no. He's close. I can feel it. And the only thought I had in my mind at that moment was, I am not the only hunter here. You see, you have an enemy, and he's real. And he ain't playing. And he don't care if you want to play ball or not. He's playing. And he's playing for keeps. God made you for one another. And my daddy used hunting as a way to invest in me. And it is a great way to do that. Now, I don't want you to get the, the wrong idea of my dad. I mean, just like if you're watching one of our shows, you're watching one of our videos, you hear about me and my dad's story, then you're going to hear edited portions of our story. But I, I, don't, I didn't have a perfect. You may be thinking, man, I wish I had had a dad like that. My daddy wasn't perfect. In fact, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I did not. Now, I mean, we were God-fearing, whatever that means, but we were not, as the Bible defines it, we were not Jesus followers. I mean, we were just average American hardworking people, blue collar at best. If you had knocked on our door in the 70s and said, Mr. Cruz, are you a Christian? My daddy probably would have said something like, well, you know, Jews live in Israel, Christians live in America, put us down, sure, you know. But do we, do we no, 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 we weren't, we weren't. We weren't, as the Bible defines Christians, we were not committed to Christ going to heaven. No, we were not, not at all. In fact, my daddy was an alcoholic. My daddy drank. Um, my daddy drank hard. My daddy never beat me. He never beat my mama. My daddy never cheated on my mama. Um, my dad wasn't an abusive drunk, but my daddy drank. He went to, you know, started drinking in, in high school and... Um, Went to college at MTSU, Middle Tennessee State, and, and majored in, I think, Texas Hold'em or something. I don't know, an, an off-campus course of some sort. And, uh, you know, went off and got a job, didn't finish college like most men, and, and found a career and kept drinking, got married and kept drinking, had kids, kept drinking. And, you know, I, I, my daddy and I are really close. And it, I bet you it wasn't, I'm serious, it probably wasn't even three years ago. I, we were driving down the road one day, and I said, Daddy, have you ever thought, about why you drank so much. My dad hadn't had a drink in like over 23 years, but I said, um, have you ever thought about why you drank so much? And you know what he said? Deep well of insight here. He said something that only a, a, an addict would, would know if you've walked that road. Daddy said, you know, Jason, I don't think that any alcoholic or any addict ever takes his very first drink hoping He'll be in bondage one day. I think it just kind of sneaks up on him. And that's what happened to my daddy. It just snuck up on him. He couldn't quit. Couldn't stop. Just numbing the pain. I learned a lot about addiction from watching my dad. I learned that my dad did not like 
the taste of alcohol in the last few years of addiction. He hated the taste of alcohol. He wasn't drinking alcohol at all for the taste. And he certainly wasn't partying. He was numbing pain. And that's what he was doing, trying to get through life. And he had some holes in his soul that only God could fill. My daddy was not, my daddy was not perfect. In fact, I remember being 15. I don't know what North Carolina's like, but in Tennessee, 15 is a tough age because you cannot drive until you're 16 and you want to date girls, but you're too cool to ask them to go ride bikes. So, you know, you got to hang out for like a year and so waiting to get your license. So we all went to um, the movie theater one night. I grew up in a little small town, about, about 18,000 people. And, um, Daddy came to get me. Now, I want you all to put your mind around this. You ready for this? Think about this. We are two-tenths, two-tenths of a mile, two-tenths of a mile from our house out on the country road. And the blue lights flash on behind my daddy. And I went, man, that's weird. I mean, I looked at the console of the truck. I thought, Daddy wasn't speeding. I'm not being funny. I'm not making a joke. My daddy did something that I still to this day, I can still see my daddy. He was wearing a camel hair blazer. That's how vivid it was. And I saw my daddy reach into the console of the truck and grab a handful of Reese's cups. And no kidding, no kidding. He, he literally, I'm not being funny. He didn't even take time to open them. He shoved them in his mouth, tenfold and all. And said, oh, God. And it hit me in that moment. My daddy's drunk. And the windows are rolled down. Small little road. Officer's back there talking to my dad. Got the pen out. And he's doing the pen test. Have you had a drink tonight, sir? I've had a few, not too many. I think you've had more than a many, sir. I could hear him talking to him. He was nice and polite, but he was talking to my dad. And I could hear my dad in this low voice trying not to make me hear. He was saying, man, I just live right there. I just live right there. My son's in the truck with me. I, I, I can get home. And he was begging that officer, man. I, and, and you know what that officer did, man? It, that guy, that guy, nobody had ever loved my daddy like this officer did. That officer showed more grace and more compassion and more love. He did something that nobody had ever done to help my daddy. He arrested my daddy. And that was the best thing that ever happened to my daddy. And if I could find that guy today, I would hug him and say, you changed our family story because you did your job and you cared enough to make him face his issue. And they put me in a police car and drove me seven seconds up the road, took me home, put my daddy in handcuffs, took him to jail. The next day my daddy gets out of jail and and within about a year of that time, I came to Christ. My daddy came to Christ. My mama came to Christ. Our whole story changed. But I did not grow up in a Christian home. I did not. So my daddy wasn't perfect. My dad, my dad was a great dad. Still is a good dad. My dad bought me my first 410 shotgun. Still got it. Bought me my first 30-30 Marlin. Still got it. Bought me my first bicycle. My first baseball glove. My third baseball glove. My fifth baseball glove. Bought me my first car. Praise God. Don't got it. He's got... He bought me, he coached my teams, taught me the game of golf, is invested in my life on every level to this day. But those are all great things. My dad took me hunting. But you know, I've thought about it before, and I thought, what is the best thing my daddy ever did for me? I'll show you. The best thing my daddy ever did for me was my daddy told me he loved me every day. 
every day. Now, here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But see, I've done the research. I've done the research on fathers and sons, and this is what I know. I know that by statistic, studies show that 90%, 9 out of 10 men, grown men, looking back at me right now, you've never heard the words, I love you, son. You never heard it. I heard it every day. That picture right there doesn't mean a lot to you, but that, that means a lot to me. That was back in our Leonard Skinner years and when the hats. and um, my, That's my dad on the left, and that was at our ca- the cabin we had up on Swanee Mountain. And, and uh, my granddaddy. Now, my granddaddy, he was a scout master. My daddy was an Eagle Scout. That was his old scout jacket. My granddaddy's in heaven now. And uh, my granddaddy was a gentle man, wicked funny, like dry humor. I would go to see him, you know, during college. And, and then I'd go home and like went on Wednesday, sitting in class, it would hit me. Boom. He was making fun of me, man. Oh, my gosh. I mean, he was sly with his humor, man. Um, really funny. But now, we called him Dat, D-A-T. God bless you, grandparents, man. You get stuck with names. You don't even get to pick them, right? I don't know how Dat, Dat, Dat came about, but Dat, Dat was what it was. And when I got older, it became Dat. Well, Dat was a, a Vietnam, I mean, a World War II veteran. He, he uh, fought uh, in Germany, went across Normandy Beach. Um, I, I remember I, I didn't need Saving Private Ryan or I didn't need the Band of Brothers. I mean, I had real stories, you know, about living in foxholes in, in France and, and, and stuff. And, and, but here's what I know about my grandfather. See, his generation, his generation didn't say stuff like that. They didn't say things like, I love you, son. But let me tell you, that doesn't make it right. Listen, that doesn't make it right. And I want to tell you something. No kidding. I'm not, I'm not playing with you. Don't come up to me tonight. I, I love it when dudes do this. Well, you know, I, I don't have to say I love to my family. I love you. They know I love them. Look, don't say that to me because you'll get the whole sermon and everybody, there's more. <laughs> no, I don't. Who are you trying to convince? You or me? I don't buy it. You, you love your family, but, but you, you don't tell them that? No, uh-uh. you don't have to tell your kids that, your grown kids. You, you have, no, I, I don't believe that. You know why I don't believe it? Try that with your wife. Right? Baby, I stood at Brushy Creek Nazarene Church in 1947 in front of 32 people and told you I loved you. If anything changes, I'll let you know. (laughs) Yeah, they make movies about that kind of romance. No, man, love that is real is love that is spoken. Now, you can say you love somebody and not. We know that. But let me tell you something, man. You can't love somebody and not tell them. I don't think it's possible. If you love it, if you love, it comes out. And you see, you know why I I talk about this? I've been doing this a long time, all across the nation. You know what I started noticing? I had grown man after grown man after grown man would come up to me, and they would tell me, when they had first ever heard their daddy say, I love you, son. I had, I'll never forget one dude came up to me. I can't even remember what state it was in. He said, I came home from Vietnam. I saw so much combat. I didn't even know what, how to process it in my mind. I had killed so many people. I didn't even know what to think. And he said, I came home from Vietnam, and my daddy was sitting in the same recliner that, the day that I left. He was sitting in the same day when I came back. And I sat as a 25-year-old man, and I crawled up in my daddy's lap, and I wept. 
in my fatigues. And he said, I put my hands on my daddy's shoulders and I told him, you can beat me till I can't move. But I'm not getting up till you tell me you love me. Don't tell me it's not critical. Don't tell me it's not critical. It's critical. You see... Jesus was about 30 years old, and, and, and I love this verse. Jesus was about 30, and he was getting baptized in a river. Jesus was actually being baptized, and it said, A voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love, and with him I'm well pleased. Well, let's break that down for a second. That's my boy, and I love him, and I'm proud of him. Now, we call God the Father, right? We call him God the Father. Where do you think that comes from? The lo- I loved my two sons before I ever saw them. I saw this gray blob thing. We went to this doctor lady, and she put like this greasy stuff on a thing and started going around Michelle's belly. And all of a sudden, boom, a face pops up and a body. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And she said, it's a boy. I said, how do you know? She said, it's a boy. I do this for a living. And that's what she said. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I'm so mad. Right? I mean, I love my son before I ever saw him. And that's God the Father. And God the Father said, that's my boy. And I get it. I mean, I know what it means to be proud of your son. That, that's Cole when he was five. Let me tell you why Cole is blessed of holy God. You ready for this? The reason my son, I know, is anointed because my son was born during turkey season, April the 5th. And my other son was born November the 5th, during the middle of the rut. My boys are anointed prophets of God. Because if you're born during the rut, in the peak of turkey season, you are special, right? And I am telling you, so my son Cole, on his birthday, he gets to shoot a turkey in the head and stay out of school. All these years, absolutely he does. He was five years old. I pulled him out of school. We went turkey hunting. We obviously killed one. And look, yes, I have no shame in pulling him out of school. I'll tell you why. Don't tell me it's not educational. We're going to talk about wildlife biology. We're going to talk about plant science and horticulture. We're going to talk about barometric pressure and wind. And we're going to talk about physics and how lead passes through skull bone at high rates of speed. I know that, that it's, it is educational. Don't tell me. So we go, this is, I, I promise you I'm not making this up. There's this one farm that's a horse farm. And there's a ridge. And this is the place we go if we always want to slam dunk, kill one on film. And we need to make it quick because it's a, it's a home run, man, every time. So they fly off the ridge into the middle of the horse pasture. Now, I am curious. How many of you actually take your sons or daughters hunting? Raise your hand. High, where I can see them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can appreciate this, right? I've got the double bull blind on my back. I've got the decoys, the gun. I've got the backpack full of juicy juice and animal crackers and, and a blanket in case he gets cold. I've got the camera. And this isn't some Best Buy camera, baby. This is the production camera, big travel. I've got 87,000 pounds of gear on my back. And I'm trying to get through this horse pasture. And I get it all set up. But it's worth it because he's too small to shoot. But he's going to be the field producer that day. And he was all excited because he can, he, he can run the camera. The birds, so here's what they do. And, and, and so this is why, let me tell you why this is a slam dunk turkey hunt. I'll tell you why it's a slam dunk. Because these birds fly off this pasture, I mean off this hill into the horse pasture. They turn right like clockwork. They go under a fence and on the other side of a fence is a Hollywood movie star. I'm not going to call her name. You wouldn't know who she is. But they go over there because she has a helicopter pad. And she puts She's a huge PETA supporter, and she puts huge, and she puts corn on her helicopter pad, all right? 
So what I do is I let them go over, and then I call them back under the fence, and I shoot them in the head, and it's easy. That's why I go. That is a true story. And I've often thought about sending her a Christmas card and say, hey, girl, keep it up, man. They're fat, you know. Um, but so this day, the birds fly down into the horse pasture. Never seen them do this. Turn left. Go over the rise, out of the way. Go to a totally different farm. And I went, oh, my gosh, man, it is daylight. And I have just packed all this gear. And I said, Cole, we're going to have to go to a different farm. And we obviously killed a turkey that day. But it ain't going to be here, buddy. And I'm sorry. We're going to have to go somewhere else. And my son, no lie, he stuck his head out that double bull blind. Looked into that pasture. He looked back at me with malice in his eyes. And this is what he said. It's okay, Daddy. Let's just shoot a horse. <laughs> That's what he said. I said, Cole, we can't shoot a horse. Mr. Glenn has one stud for $100,000. You think he ain't going to miss it? I said, what are we going to do with it? So we get into this argument. I said, what are we going to do with it, son? He said, we're going to cut it up and put it in the back of the truck. And I was so proud of my son in that moment. You know why? I didn't teach him that. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. I got a stone cold killer for a son. Men, what, we, what do we do? We go hunting. We kill something. Drag it back to the cave. Feed the family. Horse, turkey, something's feeding the family. That's what we do. And I didn't teach him that. So look, when, when, when Jesus was told by his daddy, I'm proud of my son. Well, I get that. But you know what I've always wondered? Why? Why would God say audibly to his son, other people heard it, why would he say I love you, son. i tell you why I think he said it. And I've read a bunch of books on this, and nobody's come up with a better idea, so I'm going with mine. You know why I think God said, I love you, son? Well, regardless of your theological bent, can we at least agree that God knows everything? Well, so here's the deal. If God knows everything, do you think somehow God forgot? Jesus was about 30 years old when he said that to his son. You think God just somehow slipped his mind that in 36 months from that moment, roughly, that Jesus was going to stretch out on the cross and die the most cruel murder in human history for my sins and for yours? No, God didn't forget that. He spoke love into his son's life. You know why, you know why I think it was critical that he spoke love into his life? I think Jesus kind of snuck out a little bit and showed us why. Because Jesus said something on the cross that day that boggles my mind, really. Now, if you're stretched out on a cross and you're dying and you're bleeding and you can't, you can't push yourself up anymore because you're suffocating from, from your legs being nailed down and you're dying, anything you say is like of high value, right? And Jesus screamed at somebody, but he didn't scream at his mama. In fact, his mama was in the crowd. And in modern-day language, he basically said, Look at me, mama. Look at me. Behold your son. Look at me, mama. But he screamed at his daddy, not Joseph. He screamed, why have you left me? You said everything you show me, I show them. You said you and me are one. Since the beginning of creation, you said we were together and we would always be together. And in the moment that I need you, you are not there. Where did you go? You see, here's what I know. That a, a man that speaks love into his son's life 
That's a promise. And every one of our fathers, including us as fathers, we break promises sometimes, but not the heavenly father. He never breaks promises. So here's what he did. He spoke love into his son's life, and real love keeps its promises. So what did he do? Three days later, he brought his boy up out of that grave. Why? Because he kept his promise. Because that's the love of a father. You see, so, so here's, here's, here's the truth, right? The truth is this. I don't know what kind of dad you had. I don't know what kind of relationship you have with your father. I don't know what that looked like, but here's what I do know. I do know that the ultimate man in your life didn't just tell you he loved you. He, 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 he actually showed it. Now, I've, I've showed you my two sons. That's, that's Cole and Tuck. Now, what I love about that picture right there is that is my favorite picture of all time. It hangs in my office because it's the personification of my two boys' personality. One is calm, collected, dependable, together. One is a party just looking for an opportunity to happen. And, and, and that, that is it, dude. But here's what I know. I know that if I walked into a convenience store tonight and I did not have my gun on me, and it came down to a criminal saying, one of them is going to pay or one of you is going to pay. It's a bad day for you. And I don't feel bad about that. And you need to know, I'm not being dramatic. I do not feel bad about that. I have reconciled that in my heart. I will not give up my sons for you. I don't know you. You don't know me. Even if I knew you well, there isn't a single man on the planet. I would not give up my sons for my daddy. And my daddy wouldn't want me to anyway, but I still wouldn't do it. You know why? I don't have it in me. You can call me unloving. You can call me unchristian. I really don't care what you call me. I mean that. I, I, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm not giving up that for anybody. So when God tells you he loves you, let me tell you the ultimate. I don't know what kind of dad you had, but when the ultimate man in your life told you he loves you, you know how I know he meant it? Because his, God looked at me and he said, Jason, your sin is so wicked. There's no way you're getting into heaven. It just ain't going to happen. I can't look past it. And the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. There has to be a payment. So here's what I'm going to do, Jason. I'm going to let them kill my boy so you can take on the family name you see I don't that doesn't make sense to me because I wouldn't do that I haven't done it and I won't do it I had a guy one time in Iowa come up to me and said what if your son by his death could save hundreds of troops you heard my answer buddy and I meant it I don't have it in me but what I do know is the ultimate man does, and he did. So if I've got one chance to come to North Carolina, I can talk to you all night long about hunting. I can talk to you all night long about fishing. But you're not going to walk out of here a better man. Now, I'm not going to make you do anything weird, right? But on your table, there is a card. And now look, when you fill this out, they're going to tell you what to do with it. They're gonna have to, you're going to have to do it to get some of the big prizes. Relax, nobody weird's coming to your house, like camping out for a month till you start coming to church, right? But they're going to follow up with you. 
they might ask you, they may call you to say, can I come see you? You know why? Because that's what brothers do. People that care, follow up. So you may get a phone call. You probably will. But if you, if you have a rough relationship with your earthly father, not, that can't change really on the deepest levels until you reconcile with your heavenly father because he's the reconciler. But first you have to reconcile with him. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray with you. Now I'm not going to put words in your mouth. I'm going to let you talk to God in the quietness of your heart. You don't have to say it out loud, but you, you better talk to him. Tell him you're a sinner in need of a savior. Tell him, name some sins. I guarantee you he knows them. Tell him you're a sinner in need of a savior. Let me tell you something. When I came to Jesus 20-something years ago, I didn't know anything. Zero about God. I could not quote you any verse in the Bible. Zero. There's no way you can be worse than I was. I knew nothing. All I knew was I was at the end of myself. And I was a sinner, and I needed a Savior. And my daddy couldn't save me, and I couldn't save my daddy. So I'm going to pray with you. They're going to come up. Andy's going to come up and tell you what to do with these cards. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, these men um, in here, these men and women and young boys and some young girls, I I have no idea, God, how you do what you do and how you go about saving souls, but I know this, you do it. And you tell us if we ask, you will be there. That if we ask for forgiveness, it will be there. God, I thank you that that you ransomed my daddy's life and mine and my mama's. And I thank you that it changed and altered the course of our family tree forever. And I know that there are men in this room that had some really, really bad dads. In fact, God, I know for a fact, by the law of averages, there are men in this room, God, that absolutely hate their daddy. And that, that's a whole different journey, but it's messed them up with you. So I'm praying, God, that tonight they will reconcile with you and not let their hatred for their daddy be a block between you and them. And that's my prayer, that you would do what you do, God, to liberate the souls of men. Right now, if you are, if you just know if you, if you can't point back to any time in your life where you actually ask God to, to forgive you, and I don't mean forgive you for a situation. I mean, the Bible says you must repent, then believe, not the other way around. Repent, meaning tell God, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Tell him, find your own words, tell him right now. And if you mean it, he will, let me tell you, with your eyes closed, let me tell you something. The day I did that, the earth didn't open, the angels didn't sing, the sky didn't part, but I was different. And I've been different ever since. So Lord, just put your grace over these men and change them. And that's my prayer in Jesus' name.
Amen. Andy's going to come up here and tell you, hey, um, I will tell you this. Um, I'm going to get the email addresses from, you, from them, just the email addresses. I, I, if, you, if you're not really much into the Bible, you haven't ever read it much or anything like that, I put out a devotion called the Man Minute. It, you can read it in less than 60 seconds. Okay, it only comes out once a week, and it doesn't even come out every week. But when, you, when it comes to your inbox, it's, it's hunting-based. It's, it's raw manhood. I, I, I don't even think about writing to women because I don't know how they think anyway. My wife can tell you that. All right? So, but I'm going to get the email addresses. You're going to see in your inbox in the next few days, maybe a week or two out, uh, a confirmation, confirm the link. And you can always unsubscribe. But that might be, that might be your first step in, in trying to just put some thoughts about biblical manhood in front of your life right on your phone. All right? And uh, so you, you'll see that from me as a way to help maybe get you started on your journey. Hey, thanks a, a lot. You know, it, it means a lot to me that I get a chance to cross paths with you. I, I don't take that lightly. I, I, re, I really don't. And uh, I, I've, I've, I'm, I'm a real dude with real problems in my life, just like you. And so I, thanks for giving me a huge asset, and that is your time. And as a dad, I can tell you, that's a big deal. And I really appreciate you doing that. So thanks a lot for having me. Maybe I'll see you here at the end, okay? Thanks.